Mr. Spaceman, won't you please take me along? I won't do anything wrong. Hey, Mr. Spaceman, won't you please take me along for a ride? Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we begin our show with Mr. Universe himself, Hampshire College professor and astronomer Salman Hamid. We have the professor with us this morning because we want to talk about the recent discovery of the star, the farthest away star ever observed. We're talking about billions and billions and billions of years for its light to get here. But first, I'd like to start with other breaking news from the galaxy, this more close to, this closer to home, and that is what is happening on our moon. Today, next week, with regard to both China and India about to land on the moon. So, Professor Salman Hamid, what is happening on our moon before we get to what was happening in the universe 13 billion years ago? Well, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, yes, so as uh, we have talked about it uh, before as well, and I think people should get an idea uh, a little more seriously in the sense that humans are going to be on the moon and there is a competition going on of what of what that sort of like you know arrival will look like there are going to be human settlements in the next few years so we are not talking about oh far far future now we are talking about in the next five to ten years there are going to be human settlements on the moon and this is the reason why you are hearing more and more about missions to the moon. So recently, Artemis um, program, uh, which is the US-led program, that had a spacecraft that went around the moon and came back. Uh, and there are plans for landing astronauts, uh, US astronauts on the moon by probably 25, 2025. But other countries are also part of it. Uh, India launched a, a lander. Uh, this is Chandrayaan-3. The Chandrayaan-2 actually uh, crash landed a couple of years ago. And it, I mean, it landed, but it crashed. Uh, and so it uh, doesn't count. Uh, but now this new one, uh, it's uh, modified. It's, uh, and it has just a few hours ago. So I was, I'm just uh, checking in a few hours ago. It has been in orbit. And now the lander has separated from the propulsion system. And now it's going to orbit the moon before it makes its landing attempt on August 23rd, so next week. And, uh, and, and it's going to land in the South Polar region, not exactly on the South Pole, but towards the South Pole. What is India looking for? What's this mission, what does this mission have as its purpose? Uh, a lot of, uh, well, so, uh, I mean, as with any of uh, these type of missions, I mean, one is of course testing technology and things like that, but uh, the science questions are about what is, uh, can you analyze stuff on the South Pole? And India also has a rover uh, in there as well, which is going to communicate with, uh, with an orbiter that is around the moon uh, in an Indian orbiter. And so it can actually uh, display that ability to communicate. But, the interest in the southern polar regions of the moon has to do with the fact that we know that there is water ice on the moon. That in some ways has been a game changer. 
Uh, partly it was discovered by uh, the first Chandrayaan-1, an Indian orbiter back in 2009, uh, amongst, uh, along with another satellite as well. But that was the one that actually discovered that in the craters that remain in shadows, in those shadowed regions of lunar craters in the South Pole, you have water ice. So and- does that mean, let me interrupt for a sec, does that mean that if this is confirmed and there is a substantial amount of ice that can become water, that then there is a real upside for the the vision of having human beings live on the moon because water being the essential element for life. Right, and, and water is pretty heavy to carry and a lot of the cost in terms of launch. I mean, you don't want to carry water bottles with you. Well, you shouldn't carry water bottles anyway because <laughs> you have problems recycling. You should get sort of like, you know, but, uh, but if, you, if you have water over there, it's not just about drinking water, but you can also turn it into fuel as well. So you can break hydrogen and oxygen, and that could also use for launching uh, rockets from there or spaceships from there to Mars and other types of things. So that has been key. And we actually don't exactly know uh, how much water is, for example, under the surface. And so this Chinese, uh, this Indian mission is also doing it, but so is a Russian mission. So I should actually tie these things together. Yeah, well, do because, that. Do that for us, if you would, Professor Salman Hamid. You're talking about because, an Indian, yes. an Indian mission, a Chinese mission, a Russian mission, and then a couple of years from now we'll have a U.S. mission. It's going to get crowded no, okay. up there. It's it's very crowded. Uh, so so hold on. So right now, let's just wait for the Chinese mission in a second. But as we speak, there is a Russian. Uh, mission that is uh, that has gotten around the moon. It's going to make a landing. In fact, two days before the Indian mission, uh, it's expected to make a landing on August uh, 21st. This is Luna 25. And you go like, wait a minute, 25? Where's, where was, when was 24? And 23. Back, back in 1976. So uh. this is the first Russian mission to the moon since, oh, I mean, it was the Soviet mission in 1976, and now it's a Russian mission. And they launched it uh, on August 10th. It has, it has gotten to the moon, and they may be able to actually get to land before the Indian mission. So there you have a mini, tiny, mini space race going on of who's going to land. But space race is not important in this context, but the Russian mission is also uh, a lander which is going to land near the southern polar region around 72 degrees uh, south and it is going to dig up rocks and soil sort of like samples and analyze and their point is that so far most of the samples that have been brought from the moon and analyzed have been from the equatorial region so the apollo missions or uh, chinese missions uh, they've brought back uh, samples but they've been all from the equatorial regions but the potentiality of water ice is more towards the South Pole. So they will be able to analyze uh, for the first time how much easy it is to extract, for example, potentially water from the soil if it's under the soil as well. Salman, is the South Pole bigger than the North Pole? And does the North Pole contain the same uh, promise that the South Pole does? 
Not the North Pole. So the it's the uh, the South Pole is the one where water ice has been detected. It has to do with the way the craters are over there, and it's these. If you don't have a shielded area, then the water would get evaporated on the, on on the moon, and because there are what what we call uh, or what astronomers call permanently shadowed regions, so they don't see the sun at all. There are certain areas, and that is where you have evidence of water ice. Now, because there, there is potentially, and that's what was surprising, people are also finding that there may be water ice under the soil as well. We don't know how easy or hard it is to extract. And that's what the Russian mission, for example, is going to analyze. But on the lunar south pole, you have water ice Above the sur above the surface, so you don't have to dig it. You just have to get it, and that's some of the plans, uh, including for the U.S. missions uh, now the human missions uh, to the moon as well. The entire focus is towards the South Pole because you will be able to get to it easily. Now, how much water there is? That's the one of the questions that they are asking. And uh, and you mentioned uh, Bill uh, Chinese missions. So China has these missions, Chang'e missions. Uh, and uh, the last one was Chang'e 5, uh, which was a sample return mission, but from the equatorial region. But Chang'e 6, which is expected to be launched next year, that will actually going to get a sample back from the southern polar regions. So this is, fa I mean, it's a fascinating time. It's maybe fascinating, but it is also, I think, worrisome in the extreme. And I would appreciate your view on this. There's a, there's a, uh, subsumed question within my question, which is how long will it be, do you think, until there are, in fact, uh, human settlements on the moon? My question is, if human beings can go to the moon, and there are at least four countries now competing to get to the moon and have a presence there, the United States, Russia, China, and India, one of those countries, or more, is going to say, what a great place to have missiles that could, could attack the Earth in places on Earth um, and be almost invulnerable, would be invulnerable to defenses. And I'm wondering whether I should put that and we should put that on our to-worry-about list, the, the weaponization of the moon. Well, so I have some good news and some bad news for that. Uh, the good news is that there is an outer space treaty which was signed by all countries, including the U.S., and, uh, but that was signed in 1967. And for fascinating reasons, it's actually a very optimistic uh, treaty in which it actually bans uh, offensive uh, weapons, especially nuclear weapons in space and things like that. Uh, it also talks about that the space can only be used, and that includes uh, the moon, asteroids, Mars, and all uh, bodies. It can only be used for peaceful purposes and for all, and now I'm using in quotes, mankind or humans, or humankind, for the benefit of all. The problem is the reason why everybody signed on to it uh, in at the height of the Cold War, right, 1967, uh, was that some of this language is also a little bit ambiguous, right? Like, you know, what does it matter? What does it mean? And, you know, you shouldn't have conflict. What does it mean? And so on and so forth. So currently right now, the U.S. has come up with an alternative 
system, which is called the Artemis Accord, which tries to flesh out some of the details of how these engagements in space are actually going to take place. So for example, uh, Bill, uh, piggybacking on your question, there is a big question about who owns the moon. Can somebody actually own it? You cannot. According to Outer Space Treaty, no nation can own the moon. What about Elon Musk? Does he know this? Does this? So that was a joke, but you're not says, smiling. <laughs> well, I'm not. There is a reason I'm not smiling because he claims that, for example, Mars. His, his focus is on Mars, and he says that Mars is a sovereign territory. And uh, no, you, uh, uh, this doesn't apply over there. And so there are constant challenges to that aspect to that. And if I remember correctly, I think he has been putting this clause in uh, some of his sort of like, you know, you know, you have this Apple thing, I'm just saying like, you know, like, you know, these things that you sign at the end, you never read. Mars has been, uh, Elon Musk has been putting this thing about Mars in some of these things regarding Tesla and other things in which it says like, you know, and if you agree, you also agree that Mars is a sovereign planet and these laws, the outer space treaty doesn't apply there and you've signed it and so on and so forth. But the moon is where I worry more. And the reason is because moon is going to set the precedence. Whatever is going to happen on Mars, that's farther in the future. These kind of questions are going to be really litigated. And as I'm talking to lawyers, uh, you would be happy to know, well, there is now a, a huge cadre of space lawyers that are directly dealing with this question. So Artemis Accord, the US says, like, you know, that, okay, we are coming up with a very reasonable set of questions uh, with these things that is in sync with Outer Space Treaty. And of course, we have the best intentions, unless somebody else doesn't, right? So this is where, how it's going to be, because Outer Space Treaty does talk about that, of course, you should not endanger somebody else, right? And so you should be able to protect where you are. But what does that mean, right? So that's where, and so Artemis Accord also says that, right, I mean, we would like to protect our space, of course, not with weapons, but we hope that others behave in a responsible way. Now, that is where it's going to start to get interesting if, for example, how big your base can be. Say, for example, US, which is going to get to the moon first. How much can it say this is our base area? And if China comes in and says, well, wait a minute, but this is our area too. So how would these questions get resolved? And, and Space uh, court. Has, space court. We're gonna first thing we'll set up on the moon is a court. No, I'm right. Just, and and I should mention. Well, this is you see. I'm still not smiling. And the reason <laughs> you're still. It's hard read, to get a smile from you today, Salman. I mean, <laughs> but there is a reason because I just read that DARPA, the Defense uh, Research uh, Group, they are actually trying to integrate private space companies' uh, emphasis on their. They're doing this analysis of how the scenarios on the moon are going to take place. So, you know, so, so this is a pretty serious issue. And, um, and one week, um, I know we, we have to go to a break, but when we come back, I do want to give you one really interesting example of this ownership issue. So, uh, yeah, so which it, will it's, it's, everybody should be aware of it. Which we'll do in two minutes. And we're also going to talk about the recent discovery of the farthest star. We'll be right back. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, let 
me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Smith Academy in Hatfield is accepting school choice applications now. With an average class size of 10, Smith Academy supports all students. They offer more than 20 clubs, 8 AP courses, 14 sports teams, work study, and internships, and free dual enrollment at HCC and Smith College. Computer science for all students. With a graduation rate of over 95%, most college bound, Smith Academy can prepare you for the next step. No cost to apply or attend. Call us or go to HatfieldPS.net and schedule a tour today. Mom, tell us about Tom Lake. A woman and her three daughters gather at the family's northern Michigan orchard where, while picking cherries, the daughters beg their mom to tell stories of the famous actor she long ago shared a stage and a romance with. Mom dishes, and the daughters soon find themselves examining their own lives, reconsidering the world and everything they thought they knew. Tom Lake, new from powerhouse author Ann Patchett. Pick up Tom Lake at Northampton's independent bookstore, Broadside Bookshop. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Hampshire College professor and astronomer Salman Hamid. This is Salman Hamid's Universe. Before the break, Salman, and before we get to this question of the farthest away star ever seen or discovered by humans, uh, there was something you wanted to tell us more about the moon. So please do. Well, well, we were talking about Elon Musk. And so I should mention that, and we were talking about the Outer Space Treaty of 1967. Uh, one of the provisions that is not in there is about what to do about private space companies because no nation can own a piece of land. And right now, most space lawyers do think that that space companies are linked with individual countries. And so they will be liable to follow the same kind of things. But that's where things starting are starting to get murky. So what does ownership means? So NASA a couple of years ago, or maybe it was just in last year, in fact, uh, has contracted, has given a contract to a private company in Texas to go in and dig up some soil on the moon and spread it out a certain area. Now, why would they do that? Well, a few years before that, President Obama, this is like 20, uh, uh, I think uh, 2015 or so, he had uh, given sort of like, you know, an authorization that if you dig something up or if you mine an asteroid, 
then you can own the extract. You can make profit off the extract. So now you cannot own the asteroid, but you can, if you do something to it, you can own the extract. Now, you see where I'm going with that. NASA has just contracted, and that was, I think it was done for a dollar or a hundred dollars or something like that. Like, you know, it's a, it's a symbolic thing that they have, they have asked this company to dig up soil and then spread it out. Now, the spread out material that is on top of the lunar surface, do you own that? If you own that, what does that mean? So I think that's where some of these interesting questions are going to come in of what does it mean to have a presence on the moon without owning it? And what if somebody else wants to be in that place? How are we going to resolve those issues without, potentially without force? Let's turn in the few minutes we have left to a really exciting discovery, the farthest away star. Tell us what happened. So this is like, you know, what astronomy is about. Unfortunately, I mean, that should be about the moon as well, but we are talking about all these geopolitical stuff. But this, uh, that, you know, uh, observation, this was done by Hubble Space Telescope a few years ago, where it actually used something called a gravitational lens. Uh, that is basically large bodies, large clusters of galaxies can bend light. They bend space and bend light as well. So there is a cluster of galaxies, which is located about 5 billion light years away. Now, this is a big cluster of galaxies. Right? About 1,000 Milky Way galaxies are in it, that much mass. But there are objects that are behind this cluster, meaning to say they are even farther away than that. Now, from Einstein, you can bend light, and just like a lens does, a glass lens, you can actually magnify. So this is something that astronomers use to see objects that are far, far away, but are very faint, but their light, if it happens to be in the right configuration, in the right direction, it gets magnified. And coincidentally, there is one star that astronomers had uh, nicknamed it Erendo, uh, which is uh, basically from uh, Lord of the Rings or uh, sort of like, you know, uh, even the prequel. And this one star happens to be in an orientation where it is magnified 4,000 times because of the gravity of this cluster, and we can actually see it. So this star sent this light out into the universe how long ago? when the universe was only 900 million years old or 12.9 billion years ago. That's when its light started its journey. This is that we're talking about a single star, which we could see. And its light is getting it. No other star by far. So we see galaxies. When we talk about that far, we see the whole galaxy. But in this particular case, the light from one star got magnified 4,000 times. And this star, Started, like, started its light. This light started from this star 12.9 billion years ago, and we can detect it because of this natural bending of light. So that's only a billion years after the, the uh, Big Bang uh, is theorized to have happened. But how does that star compare to our sun in size and brightness, etc.? Yeah, so that's why it is so exciting because we can actually see 
what how stars were like right towards the early in the universe. And so this originally this star was observed by Hubble Space Telescope, but the new observations just last month were made by James Webb Space Telescope and it looked for its color. So Hubble Space Telescope, we couldn't tell what it was like, but James Webb actually looked at it and it looks like a star that is a little bit bigger than our sun, double the size uh, of our sun. But as it turns out, it has a little bit reddish color in it, which shows that it actually is not by itself. In fact, it's a binary star. There is a star that is orbiting it as well. So just think about it. We can actually tell that there is a binary star in the universe 12.9 billion light years away, and we can observe it. We can observe its colors. Professor, before we run, what are the odds that this star still exists? Uh, not very good. <laughs> in fact, I can say you can bet your house on it. It doesn't because uh, stars like our sun live around 10 billion years or so. The bigger stars live less. So by now, certainly that star, along with if there were planets around it and any of the inhabitants who were thinking about colonizing or sort of like going to their moon or Mars or something like that, they're all dead. So, yes, that's the it's, sort of it's, like, you know, the big a red sun that is that explodes is what Superman was born by. I love this. Krypton <laughs> exists. So yeah, no, the, the star, this is like we are we are looking at it as it was 12.9 billion years ago. This star does not exist. It's gone, long gone. Sad. Sad. We have to leave it on a sad note. <laughs> Hampshire College professor and Salman Hamid. This has been Salman Hamid's universe. Thanks so very much, Professor. We really appreciate you and your time. Salman Hamid is our biggest star. <laughs> Thank you so much. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The name of the man killed in a head-on collision in Haydenville is now being released. The Northwestern District Attorney's Office says 57-year-old Edward Duggan of Haydenville died shortly after 2 p.m. Tuesday. Police believe that Duggan's SUV headed west on Route 9 in the vicinity of 202 Main Street drifted, colliding with a pickup truck being driven by a Worthington man in the eastbound lane. He sustained minor injuries. No arrests were made, and the crash remains under investigation. Members of the Amherst Regional School Committee will hold a meeting in executive session tonight to discuss unspecified negotiations with Superintendent Michael Morris. This comes about a month after Morris returned from a two-month medical leave following allegations of anti-LGBTQ bias and bullying at the middle school. A Granby woman is seeking to have her murder case dismissed. Kara Rintala is facing her fourth murder trial for allegedly killing her wife at their Granby home in 2010. Rintala's attorney argued the case should be dismissed because prosecutors cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Rintala is guilty without relying on speculation. Jurors deadlocked in the first two trials but found Rintala guilty at the third trial. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The Supreme Judicial Court overturned that verdict and sent the case back for a new trial. The judge will review the hearing arguments before issuing a ruling. 
Mostly cloudy this morning with some scattered showers, gradually clearing this afternoon, but still the chance for a shower. A high of 76 to 80, mainly dry this evening, but then some showers and thunderstorms overnight, a low of 64 to 70. For Friday, showers and thunderstorms in the morning and then drying out in the afternoon, a high of 78 to 82. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Some people make insurance sound so simple. You know, just call 1-800-INSURANCE. We'll save you money. Sounds pretty simple. So you call, give your credit card, and you're insured. They're hoping you'll never call back. Hoping you'll never have a claim. Because that's when insurance isn't so simple. In fact, it can get outright complicated. So many insurance claims have some little thing, or not so little thing, that ends up with a difference in what the insurance company thinks they owe you and what you think you should get. Maybe that nice person who signed you up at 1-800-INSURANCE will work it out for you. Or make Whalen Insurance your local insurance agent. When we sign you up, don't be surprised if our rates are lower than the 800 number. We'll get every available discount for you. We'll get you the right coverage. And if you ever need help with a claim, our door is open. Whalen Insurance. Call us for a quote. 586-1000. Your local agent working in partnership with Arbella Insurance. Whalen Insurance. Local people. Local service. Local insurance. Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. It is that time of year. It is that time of summer. And here with us to tell us about performance is Steve Sanderson and Peter McQuillan. They are the events producers for the Northampton Arts Council. Let's start with you, Steve, because you have seniority here. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, what's happening? When is it happening? Why is it happening? This is an exciting part of the cultural fabric of Northampton. Tell us. You know, it's kind of the year-end celebration, right? The summer's end celebration, not the year-end. Don't but... tell us the summer is ending. <laughs> come on, come on. This I got is to, a, I got to. This, this is Everybody up... gets together and celebrates, Bill. It's an it, uplifting it's... event. It's a not the end of summer. It is a celebration. Forget that end of summer stuff. Okay, well, I'm going to say it's your last chance to have fun. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Worse, but thanks. Performance 33, the uh, show formerly known as Trans Performance. Um, raising money for arts in the school, 20-plus local hero bands get together and pretend to be somebody else. At- <laughs> okay, tell us tell us when, tell us where, Peter McQuillan. It's all going down next Tuesday, August 22nd, from 4.30 to 9.30 at the Pines Theater in Look Park, Florence, Massachusetts. 
if you're not familiar with the Pines, it's an amazing amphitheater outdoors, and uh, it's a great experience to take in all these local bands rocking out for a good cause. Okay, tell us, usually performance or trans performance, previously known as, uh, has a theme, and I suspect that this year has one as well, so tell us about that. Oh, it's awesome. Every year we do pick a theme, and it's always the hardest part of the job, aside from just filling 20 slots, because so many local hero bands want to play. But it's really difficult to pick a theme after 33 years, and we, for years now we've wanted to do one that revolved around science and weather. And we finally came up with it. Peter, go ahead. This year we have Performance 33, The Elements, celebrating the power of science and weather. A bunch of local bands are going to perform under the theme, and uh, so we have people like the Soul Magnets performing as Heat Wave, Disco Legends. We have Tracy Grammer and Jim Henry as Iron and Wine. Uh, King Radio as Neil Diamond. It's all based around the theme of science, the weather, the periodic table, um, and it's all in the name of benefiting arts programs in our public schools, so we're raising money the whole time, so it's great to kind of have that science and math and weather themes so uh, so so those of us who were baffled by all this when we were in school and had no idea what the periodic table was telling us or why you know the stools didn't fit on it and all this sort of thing really this is what this is what performance is bringing us this year this is gonna help this is gonna (laughs) help just leave leave your bunsen burner at home (laughs) it's a back to school special all the kids head back to school the next week so it's a great time for everyone to gather in florence and, uh, yeah, have a great uh, big old show, festival for a good cause. These are fabulous local bands. I, I, mean, I guess it must be really hard, actually, to decide uh, if a band wants to play that you have to wait till next year. I mean, that must be hard, actually, for it, you. It is difficult. We're always trying to rotate in new local bands. And, and it's, it's really hard to tell people that there's no room this year because there's a timeline. You know, the show goes from basically 4.30, and we have to be done by 9.30, so it's very difficult. And bands spend so much time learning these songs and perfecting it. I mean, it's like a a great tribute show, but so much better. But here's the part that I I find astounding about uh, performance, which is you go from band to act to a little patter in between to a next show to the the little patter to the band to the band. I mean, how do you put it all together? You don't have time to actually rehearse all that, but you make it seem like you've been on tour for, I don't know, months or years. Professional stagehands, Bill. That's how you do it. Professional stagehands donate their time. Uh, You know, I mean... We've got good people running this, and people come back every year to help. And you have an amazing sound system at the Pines Theater as well. I mean, but somehow you've got different bands, and you've got to make the sound work for all of them, one after the other after the other. Do one of you tell us about how that happens? Not gonna lie, it's super stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, special Peter? shouts out to our sound engineer Dan Richardson, who's been running it for years and is a huge valuable asset to us there. And, uh, yeah, it's great to hear the Pines fully rocking. And, you know, all these bands are, uh, you know, very professional in their own right, too. And they spent a lot of time volunteering and learning the music on their own, and they bring it to the stage. So it's awesome to have, like, classic Valley bands alongside uh, the new up-and-comers. It absolutely goes back to the bands as far as time. They rehearse a 10-minute set, and they rehearse it down to the second. And that's what makes this work and seem so seamless. Yes, yes. Wow. Okay, tell us about tickets, and tell us about how this supports the Northampton schools and arts in the school. Well, uh, everyone should know that all the food that you buy, a portion of the proceeds go to the local PTOs earmarked 
for arts uh, arts programs. So, and this year, thanks to Look Park and a few of the local breweries, uh, some of the beverage money will also go to uh, these funds. Go ahead, Peter. Yep, and uh, so people know you can get your tickets at performance.brownpapertickets.com. Um, that's the easy link. And they're also available to buy in per- person at State Street Fruit Store in Northampton, Cooper's in Florence. Um, and, yeah, tickets are pretty cheap. It's uh, adults are $11, seniors $9, and children 12 and under just $6. So very affordable price. Um and you can get them at the Pines Theater box office as well. And you can bring your chairs, and you can bring your blankets, and you can bring your own food, and like that, right? It is so much fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is total family-friendly, and people dance in front of the stage, and it is just amazing energy and so much fun. If you've never been to performance, once you go, you will want to go every year. It is magical. And you can buy tickets at the I was going to say at the door, but it's not exactly a door. It's just kind of the entranceway. Definitely. <laughs> at the Pines Theater. Yep, right at the Pines. Okay. Again, this is Tuesday, beginning what time? Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. That's when the music will start. The doors will open a little earlier than that. Okay. So you can come and set up your – get a great spot in front of, in front of the stage, and it, a great time will be had by all. Promise you. Steve Sanderson, Peter McClellan, thank you so much for putting this on. The entire community is in your debt, and it's going to be such a blast. Thank you, Bill. Thank we you, hope Buzz. to see you all there. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Your expectations. What are your expectations for your new home addition? Construct Associates in Northampton can show families just like yours a world of possibilities. From antique to ultra-modern, kitchen and bath, additions, design and construction, residential and commercial, renovation and restoration. Construct Associates in Northampton and your imagination. Expanded and released by serious craftsmen doing quality work. Visit their website right now at constructassociates.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, little neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny little necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Find local news and local talk for the Valley which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money, which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. 
I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We hope to be joined in a few moments by Reverend Michael McSherry, uh, and we want to talk to him and get his opinion on the death penalty sanction that was just imposed on the person who committed the murders at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Uh, This is a topic of great concern and interest to both Buzz and me in particular because we've done death penalty cases and uh, Dan, of course, as well, and we hope to you. Um, First, I would like to uh, talk about another case that has been uh, in the news again, front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette. This is the headline, Rintala Seeks Dismissal of Case. This is not a death penalty case, but it is a murder case here in Northampton. Here's the subhead, fourth trial in 2010, Granby killing of wife set for next month. There is a picture of Cara Rintala in Hampshire Superior Court in 2016. Here's what the story by staff writer James Pentland says. Again, front page, top of the fold, uh, dateline Hampshire Superior Court. An attorney for Cara Rintala facing her fourth murder trial for allegedly killing her wife almost 13 and a half years ago urged a judge Wednesday to overturn a high court ruling and dismiss the case. What that means is that there was a request to dismiss the case uh, previously that was denied, but circumstances have changed. The litigation has gone on. There has been another trial since the denial by the Supreme Judicial Court of the motion to dismiss, and so it is renewed again. Let me continue with this story. With Rintala beside him at the defendant's table, Chauncey Wood, that is uh, Cara Rintala's new attorney, David Hoos has tried the case three times previously, two to a hung jury once with the conviction and then his very timely and appropriate objection to the junk science introduced by the Commonwealth resulted in the reversal of the conviction. Chauncey Wood argued that prosecutors cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that his client beat and strangled Anna Marie Cochran Rintala. Uh, Rintala to death in their Granby home on March 29, 2010, without relying on speculation. Sorry, I mangled that sentence a bit, but basically is saying he's saying that in order for there to be a conviction, the jury would have to engage in speculation that there is insufficient evidence, and therefore the case should not go to the jury. Quote, yet 13 and three trials later, it's what they have relied on, that is speculation, and it's what they will have to rely on would argued before Hampshire Superior Court Judge Francis Flannery. The story goes on. After jury's deadlocked at her first two trials, two trials, excuse me, Rintala, now 56, was found guilty at her third trial in 2016 and was sentenced to life in prison without parole, which is the mandatory sentence. Quite the extraordinary case here in Western Massachusetts, Buzz, don't you think? It's incredibly extraordinary, and I'll be honest. I, this, the Supreme Judicial Court found that the expert who was certified to determine the length of time that paint had dried and 
were not tried, uh, did not have the qualifications necessary to be deemed a competent expert. That's what a lot of us felt at the time. And I do think that that, that little addition, not so little addition, is what uh, changed two hung juries to a jury that was willing to convict. And now that the Supreme Judicial Court has said that expert wasn't expert enough to be qualified as an expert, I, I am very, I mean, I'm a defense attorney, obviously, uh, I see things through that lens, but I don't think there is enough to convict Kara. Well, we should clarify for our listeners, this evidence about the paint drawing, that was new evidence at the third trial. Uh, that's was what has changed the record in the case. And so defense gets up this time and say, here, we're back to where we were, and there is insufficient evidence. So again, this trial is scheduled to begin next, uh, next month, and well... The motion to dismiss is pending in Hampshire Superior Court. It's a big Court. motion. Yeah. Let's turn now, if, if we might, to Reverend Michael McSherry, who joins us. Reverend McSherry, I wanted to ask you your opinion about the uh, the verdict that was returned in the uh, uh, Tree of Life Synagogue case, the mass murder of uh, congregants at that Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh that has resulted in a uh, death sentence for the perpetrator. Mm. And, and I know that you have a long-standing uh, opposition to the death penalty, but this is a horrifying crime. Uh, this crime in some ways is a, this perpetrator's a poster person yeah. for the death penalty. I, I, and I'm wondering what I, your feelings are. Well, my, my my feelings, Bill, as you might imagine, are somewhat complicated, but but also clear, and that is that I I completely understand why he is a poster child or a poster person for um, the merits or potential merits of the death penalty. You know, if ever there was someone who one could argue deserved to die for um, the killings they've committed, it this gentleman, the gentleman, I'm being overly polite, this person said um, my only regret when he asked if he had any regrets, I think his response was just that I was unable to kill more people. I mean, nothing could be more horrific um, to be completely remorseless and to express that sentiment. And yet, I don't believe that taking a life ever replaces the lives that were taken. And I don't believe that at the end of the day, most people feel real satisfaction for um, revenge. Um, I mean, it's, it is bloodlust for bloodlust. And um, while it might be part of human nature, it certainly doesn't call upon, reinforce, or build up um, what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. So, so Reverend McSherry, I, I, would, yeah. I would appreciate it if you, you could share with us whether this for you is something that comes from a biblical source, this position, this anti-death penalty mm -hmm. in all cases mm -hmm. uh, position comes from uh, personal uh, experience or whether it comes from uh, biblical teachings. What's the genesis of this for you? 
I love your question. What's the genesis? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of liked it when it came out. I, I didn't plan it. I was going to ask, what's the Deuteronomy of this for you? But <laughs> What's the Levitical view? Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we're complicated creatures, human beings, but, um, and, and uh, Genesis, the book, reflects the fact that we've had in our nature, um, it would seem from the get-go, um, uh, an impulse um, which which may be triggered by jealousy um, or other um, emotions, uh, a desire to um, get rid of other people when they frustrate us. Um, and uh, that has to be discouraged. And one of the things we do as uh, organized society is we have laws. We have laws to prevent people from acting on that impulse. And when those laws fail to prevent people, we separate them from society by locking them up. And sometimes we say separating them from society is not enough. You know, we're not going to we're going to do more than simply render people safe from each other um, by locking you up for the rest of your your life. Um, we're going to kill you and make an example of you to other people. That's the justification for 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 the death penalty that's based on the argument, making an example of people who do this will persuade others not to do it. I think that's kind of been debunked because in, in jurisdictions where uh, the death penalty is practiced, people keep killing each other, even they know what the sanction is if you're caught. Um, so why, what, what's the other justification? So-called justice for the family or retribution, also known as revenge. Um, and I, I won't tease apart by verse by verse, but I think um, both the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible um, contain plenty of stories and passages that indicate thou shalt not kill, um, you know, not to take a life for a life. What about the passages that say an eye for an eye? Well, you, you and I both know um, Gandhi's answer to that. Um, in a, in, in a society that practices an eye-for-an-eye eye justice, we all end up blind. Um, you know, people do bad things to each other. Um, my question, to turn it around, is uh, would you consider all of the passages in the Bible that encourage us to respond um, to violence or to respond to injustice um, in ways that heal rather than inflict another wound? To, um, to seek to be the repairer of the breach and bind up the wounded and the broken. Um, you know, I think that's in both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. So I'm not going to go verse for verse on it, uh, but, but, you know, there's plenty of warrant. I'm wondering if you can share with us, and this may be too general a question, but Michael McSherry, you are the minister and a minister at Edwards Church here in Northampton. Do you think that most of your parishioners actually share this view with regard to the death penalty, the one you've expressed? Um, I hope so. I don't know. We haven't talked about it a lot. I mean, I don't think Massachusetts has had a state death penalty for decades. most of the years I've lived here. So sorry, do, do we do? 
No, we don't. No, we, we have don't. We, 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 the death penalty. We got rid of it like 30 years ago, didn't we? 81, I think, was the last one. Yeah. So when you, when you look at uh, the death penalty and you see that it has been imposed, uh, your personal reflections on that in the minute or so that we have left? Uh, profoundly sad. Uh, profoundly sad because I do believe that um, the practices that will tend to promote the better angels of our nature, that, that, that will uh, lift up human nature and continue to reinforce improvement rather than um, reinforcing revenge impulses, um, would be to um, sequester people from society as long as they present a risk. I had close family members brutally murdered, um, and my family, at least my parents and my siblings, consistently said, do not put this man to death um, as a result of his killing our uncle, my, my father's only sibling, um, even though it was brutal. And we knew that this same man had killed other other elderly well, citizens the same week. Let me interrupt, um, Reverend McSherry. We're going to have you yeah. back. We're going to have you share this story with our listeners, and we're going to go into it in depth how your uncle was murdered and what your family did in response. We're going to leave okay. it there. We really appreciate your time, Michael McSherry, on our Have Faith segment. Thank you so very much. Take care, care Bill. Bye-bye. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult looking to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam and preparing for college. To find out about our free classes in Franklin and Hampshire counties, check us out online at literacyproject.org, or call us in Northampton at 413-584-6755. If you want to learn, The Literacy Project is the place for you. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock. By Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. People on the island of Maui are still sleeping in cars and tents more than a week after deadly wildfires tore through. There are fears toxic debris and water could plague locals for years. Correspondent Lilia Luciano is near Lahaina. There are 111 people who authorities say have been, whose remains have been found. Of those, only nine have been identified and uh, family members have been notified. So the wait for answers will be long. Widespread power outages remain in North Carolina after deadly weather there. Schools are closed in Durham for a second straight day as tens of thousands remain without power after strong storms Tuesday. It's miserable. I'm just, I'm missing my electric right now and we do not know how long before it comes on. A 78-year-old woman was killed when a tree fell on her SUV. There was widespread damage across the Raleigh-Durham area. Jim Crisula, CBS News, Greensboro, North Carolina. The prosecutor 
prosecutor in former President Trump's racketeering trial in Georgia is proposing a trial date of March 4th. CBS's Nicole Killian at the courthouse in Atlanta. That is one day before Super Tuesday and a week ahead of Georgia's primary. It's also three weeks before his trial about alleged hush money payments in Manhattan. And there's two potential special counsel trials looming. Sources tell CBS News negotiations are underway over Mr. Trump's surrender before next Friday. The Labor Department is still flexing its muscle. New unemployment claims fell again last week from 250,000 to 239. Bank rates Mark Hamrick. This snapshot is more important than most because it coincides with the survey week used by the Labor Department to generate the August employment report. That's due September 1st. Support for a small newspaper in Kansas has gone global after its offices were raided along with the publisher's home. Attorney Bernie Rhodes, who represents the Marion County record, says all of the newspaper's equipment, including computers, has now been returned. As long as we continue to believe that the information is not being inspected, we can be reasonable. The record had been investigating the local police chief. A prosecutor withdrew the search warrant, saying there was insufficient evidence. Driverless cars have their advantages, but not when it comes to sensing unexpected trouble. SFGate.com reports a GM cruise plowed into a city paving project this week and got stuck in wet concrete. No one was injured. It happened days after the State Public Utilities Commission expanded hours for driverless paid rides. Dow up 44. This is CBS News. Hire with minimal effort and max speed with Indeed. Their hiring solution platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates efficiently. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. You don't have to live in Britain to get what the New York Times calls the best of British telly. Stream the UK's most brilliant series only on BritBox. Unlock acclaimed favourites including Vera and Stonehouse, starring Succession's Matthew McFadden. Plus, don't miss upcoming original dramas like Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Lose yourself in Britain's best entertainment, only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. Viking, providing all-inclusive voyages on rivers, oceans, and lakes around the world. Designed for curious travelers with interest in science, history, culture, and cuisine. Viking chairman Torsten Hagen often says, Viking offers experiences for the thinking person, with no children and no casinos on board. Learn more at viking.com. That's viking.com. A new study finds hurricane deaths have killed thousands more than for WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The name of the man killed in a head-on collision in Haydenville is now being released. The Northwestern District Attorney's Office says 57-year-old Edward Duggan of Haydenville died shortly after 2 p.m. Tuesday. Police believe that Duggan's SUV, headed west on Route 9 in the vicinity of 202 Main Street, drifted, colliding with a pickup truck being driven by a Worthington man in the eastbound lane. He sustained minor injuries. No arrests were made, and the crash remains under investigation. Members of the Amherst Regional School Committee will hold a meeting in executive session tonight to discuss unspecified negotiations with Superintendent Michael Morris. This comes about a month after Morris returned from a two-month medical leave following allegations of anti-LGBTQ plus bias and bullying at the middle school. A Granby woman is seeking to have her murder case dismissed. 
Kara Rintella is facing her fourth murder trial for allegedly killing her wife at their Granby home in 2010. Rintella's attorney argued the case should be dismissed because prosecutors cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Rintella is guilty without relying on speculation. Jurors deadlocked in the first two trials but found Rintella guilty at the third trial. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The Supreme Judicial Court overturned that verdict and sent the case back for a new trial. The judge will review the hearing arguments before issuing a ruling. Mostly cloudy this morning with some scattered showers, gradually clearing this afternoon, but still the chance for a shower. A high of 76 to 80, mainly dry this evening, but then some showers and thunderstorms overnight, a low of 64 to 70. For Friday, showers and thunderstorms in the morning, and then drying out in the afternoon, a high of 78 to 82. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And Brian Adams, uh, you are such an adventurer. I just love to listen to your segment and uh, you, your entire family, you love to take these all-out adventures. How's that for a segue? That's a wonderful segue. <laughs> Thank you, Buzz. Uh, and it's true, being outdoors in a kayak at... DAR or a recumbent bike on the bike path or cross-country skiing in the woods can be a profound experience for anyone, uh, for people who have challenges in participating in those kinds of activities. For people with disabilities, being outside can be life-altering experience. And joining us today in the studio to talk about outdoor recreation for people of all abilities is Karen Foster. Karen is the executive director of a marvelous organization called All Out Adventures. Karen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And should we should note for our listeners saying, I know that name, you do. Uh, she is the Ward 2 City Councilor for Northampton. She is not, sadly for those of us who really, really respect uh, terrific public officials, she has been an extraordinary, made an extraordinary contribution to the City Council in Northampton. So... Welcome to the show. I know you're here wearing another hat, but while you're here, I want to say thank you. Thank you. All right. Give her an award. Have her thank her mother. And now let's talk about adventure. Let's talk about all out adventures. Um, Karen, can you begin by sharing who, what all out adventures is? And then I want to get to some of the stories about experiences participants have had with your programs. Sure. All out adventures. We're a Northampton based nonprofit. We were founded in 2001. And um, we run outdoor recreation programs with people who have disabilities, with seniors, and with veterans. Um, we were really founded in response to the Americans with Disabilities Act to ensure access to the state parks um, for people of all abilities. And since then, we've really expanded um, what we do and, and who we serve. And we work um, year-round. We run outdoor recreation programs year-round that are open to people of all ages and all abilities and all throughout Massachusetts and even occasionally into Rhode Island. And tell us about some of the experiences that people have had with your programs, experiences that people could not have had if there wasn't an organization like All Out Adventures. Sure. I mean, I think one of the things we focus on the most is uh, the concept of breaking down barriers. And, you know, for people who have disabilities or, or who don't necessarily see themselves in the outdoors, there's so many barriers from financial um, to logistical, like, how am I going to get into that kayak? Um, and so we work really hard to meet people where, we're, where they're at. Um, we say yes any time we possibly can. And 
we make it possible for people to explore all of the bounty of outdoor spaces we have here in Massachusetts by kayak, by bike, by canoe, cross-country ski, hiking, um, all, of the, all of those activities. How do you get people in kayaks who have such uh, uh, interesting uh, array of disabilities? Um, I'm a disabled man myself. I know the answer to this question, and it's really pretty cool. Can you tell us about kayaking up at DAR and how you get people in and, more importantly, out of the kayak, which for me is the challenge? I can get in, but getting out, it takes an... It takes a village to get me out. I do like to remind people we've never left somebody in a kayak yet. So everybody who's gotten in has gotten out. Um, but we have a variety of tips and tricks. Um, one of our favorites and the simplest and what I think you used before last summer, we call it our transfer cooler, but it's an igloo cooler that we set up next to a kayak. And it provides a midway point um, for somebody to transfer either from standing to seated or from their wheelchair to seated. And then from there, they can maneuver their legs into the kayak um, and then we can provide assistance for people um, to slide down in. The other thing we have is a, a really cool um, thing called a kayak chariot. And on that, we can actually attach a kayak cockpit to balloon wheels and have a transfer board next to it. People can independently transfer into the kayak. And then we wheel the whole kayak with a person in it into the water. And once the kayak's floating, we unattach the wheels and off they go. And the, one of the coolest things about kayaking, and, and you've experienced this, is on land, people can need a lot of assistance to get in. Um, but once they're floating, you know, you can't really tell uh, when you're looking at our group of people out kayaking who has a disability and who doesn't. Um, it can really promote a tremendous amount of independence uh, once you're off floating in, into the lake. It's a wonderful program. The DAR Lake up in Goshen is so beautiful, and the kayaking is so fun. I was supposed to kayak with you yesterday, and the weather, oh, you know, it's just one rainstorm after another. Somebody stop it. Um, one of the things, Karen, that people, ex or one of the upsides, if is that the right word, of COVID, is that people really began to appreciate the outdoors in a way that was really profound. It was a, it was a savior for lots, for lots of people, um, embracing the outdoors as a way to combat, you know, isolation and fatigue and loneliness and um, did you suspend programs during COVID? And when you re t t tell us about that, and then what happened once you uh, lifted those that suspension? Sure. Yeah, I remember it really vividly in March of 2020 when we had to make that decision to suspend programs. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, for years I've been doing this work that's all about bringing people together and promoting community. And we had to face the fact, um, you know, the first program we suspended was an indoor ice skating program. And we had to face the fact, actually, that bringing people together could actually um, have the opposite impact, where usually we're promoting health. Um, so we did suspend programs. Um, by July of 2020, we were out kayaking and, and hiking and uh, cycling again and running our programs again. And people just valued it so much. And we could really kind of feel a shift. You know, I think for, I know at least me, um, you know, when I'm feeling stressed or anxious, I take a hike or I take a bike ride and, and I'm a new person when I'm done and for so many people that that was needed Buzz? if I may I'd just like to circle back and I'm not sure maybe this question is for both of you um, circle back to kayaking because I know when I first got in a kayak I actually turned upside down because I didn't know how to balance myself how do you ensure that somebody who is disabled is able to withstand that experience of all of a sudden being upside down yeah, um, so just to normalize for you, most capsizes happen getting in and getting out of kayaks, um, you know, if, if people are going to. 
And we always um, help stabilize the kayak for people who need it while they get in and out. Um, for people who have trouble with um, trunks or, you know, with uh, need support for trunk mobility and stabilization, we do have um, pontoons or outriggers that we can attach to a kayak to help provide that extra bit of stability. We also use wide open cockpits. We don't use um, spray skirts. Um, and so, you know, I've had a handful of capsizes at programs I've run. It's not super common, um, but when it does, um, you know, the, the cockpits tend to be wide open and, and generally can give people a hand getting back in. And we train for it constantly. I'm um, sure so our safety staff are, must are be able. the thing, right? Yeah, and when we go out in kayaks, there's always a staff person right there, right right next to you. So there's that, that safety is paramount. Um, when I go out on the recumbent bike, I'm on my own. Uh, not on my own, but with with a partner, but not with a with a staff a staff person. Uh, one thing I want to ask you, Karen, is um, I'm thinking there's a lot of, or there can be a lot of hesitation for people with disabilities to even sign up for programs. I mean, you have to put yourself out there. You have to acknowledge your disability. You have to be vulnerable in a way that staying at home is is not. Um, how do you get people to be comfortable coming out? Do you actively recruit? Um, how do people know which programs they can do or are right for them? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's true. When people come to a program, there's a vulnerability, um, you know, of, of, of committing to do something in, in, in outdoor spaces. We don't often see people who have disabilities, you know, in advertising or television, or, you know, it's, it's an underrepresented image. Um, so, you know, we as a staff are really aware that people are putting themselves out there when they come, and we work really hard to meet people where they're at. In addition, you know, we've, one thing we've noticed in the recent years is that most people who are coming have a family member, um, or if they're in group living, it's a staff member who can really advocate for them and really support them in participating. So we've really focused outreach um, in the last six months or so on um, group residences, um, you know, community centers, and really working to get more people kind of on the in the corner of the people who have disabilities to help advocate for them to be able um, to participate in coming to our programs, just recognizing already the privilege that, that it takes. And so, um, you know, it's a lot of personal outreach. And the other thing we always do when we see people or their caregivers are hesitant, we invite them just to come watch. No commitment to participate, but come have a cup of tea, come have a drink of water, come see how it's done. And very often then people will, will be willing to take that next step. I was on your website, which is a wonderful website, and I saw a coming soon, maybe it's now, pickleball. Now, I know the pickleball is the latest craze, but seriously, pickleball, how would you make those accommodations for people with disabilities to play something as actively moving back and forth and up and down in a court as pickleball? Yeah, well, pickleball is a thing. We, we, we a all want to play now. Yeah. Um, so we, we did a community fundraiser. We fundraised um, close to $10,000 to purchase three tennis wheelchairs. They're really maneuverable and can help people get around the court um, fairly easily. They're on order. We'll have them in September. Um, and we're really excited about pickleball in the wintertime because for, depending on the disability, a lot of people with disabilities are very vulnerable to cold. And being outdoors in the cold can be a, a major barrier, even though we have all of these winter programs. So we're excited about indoor play this winter. And for some people, the step is just using the paddle and hitting the ball as we toss it to them. Other people, it's getting engaged in games. Um, and we can, you know, help with those progressions to include people at whatever level they're ready for. Pickleball and tennis. Yes. And some of this would be indoor, 
as well. Yes. Uh-huh. Wow, that's really some pickleball. It's the latest thing, pickleball. Um, given the wide range of disabilities that, that people have, I'm always amazed in the biking that I've done and the kayaking that I've done, uh, how you come up with this adaptive equipment and, and measures to make the experience successful for participants. You know, it's such a, it's this incredible range. People come in and boom, you got them on a bike or boom, you in a kayak. How, how do you know how to do that? You know, our staff are amazing. Um, you know, our, our program leaders have been with us anywhere from five to eight years. So there's, there's quite a bit of experience there. I'm going to say this out loud. I've been with All Out Adventure since 2004. So there's also this sort of, um, you know, quite a bit of, of long-term experience and, and seeing what's possible. But I think the biggest thing that we do as a, you know, kind of a, as a group is we look and we see what's possible. So I think very often people have the experience, if, if they have a disability, of going places and, and people look at them of what's not possible. But for us, we can look and say, oh, great, you can use your right hand. This is the bike for you. And so we can kind of look at people, see what possibilities there are, what they do well, and um, you know, use that to help find the equipment and the experience that's going to help people be successful. It's a remarkable bunch of folks who are really, really helping out in, a, in such an important way. We're talking with Karen Foster. Karen is the executive director of All Out Adventures. Karen, when we come back from break, I want to talk about this issue of, this is a science and, and sensibility segment, how being outdoors is develops this sense of place and can really uh, be profound in terms of a political and sustainability kind of way. So we'll be right back with Karen Foster, executive director of All Out Adventures. When he first came to the mountains, his life was far away on the road, hanging by a song. But the strings already broken, and he doesn't really care. It keeps changing fast, and it don't last for long. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Jay Burnham here, voice of the Massachusetts Minutemen. Touchdown, Massachusetts! I just wanted to let you know that all of the UMass football action can be heard right here on our new flagship home for Massachusetts football. It's WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Technicians, this is your chance. Get up to a $5,000 sign-on bonus at Gary Rome Hyundai or refer a technician to get a $2,500 referral fee. Be part of the family and receive truly exceptional compensation and full benefits. Join the Time Magazine's National Dealer of the Year team with a proven track record of team members averaging over 10 years at Gary Rome Hyundai. Technicians get up to a $5,000 sign-on bonus or refer a technician to get a $2,500 referral fee. To learn more and apply, go to GaryRomeHyundai.com slash family. Do you know a woman of impact? 
Nominate her now for the Business West Women of Impact Awards, honoring women who are respected for accomplishments in their professional life, who give back to the community, and are sought out as advisors and mentors. Business West is looking for the 2023 Women of Impact. Help Business West discover them. Go to businesswest.com to nominate a woman you know making an impact in the community. The deadline to nominate is September 5th. A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Sundays at noon, 1015-1400-WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And this is our Science and Sensibility segment. We're going to continue with Brian Adams, and he's talking with Karen Foster. It's really fascinating, All Out Adventures. It's just so wholesome and wonderful to hear about what you offer. Getting people with all abilities uh, outside and doing their thing. And there's a, a profound impact on being outside that can develop that sense of, of place that people have, that appreciation of place that that is transformative in terms of your political outlook and developing a, an, an appreciation for the programs that sustain outdoor space. You want to talk a little bit about that and the program that you're doing on NPR, which is really exciting, or this segment on NPR. Sure. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, studies have shown that Spending time outdoors encourages pro-social behavior, reduces anxiety, reduces uh, depression, and it connects people to their communities. And I think one of the most profound places and ways that I see that is the programs we run on the Connecticut River. And for many people, it's so interesting, people kind of have this fear or anxiousness about the river. It can be kind of a barrier. It's a bridge they drive across. But then when we go out kayaking or paddle boarding on the river, we connect people to this, this place that's such a geographical feature of our valley, but very few people have actually experienced firsthand being on it. And, you know, I really see people start to notice the flow of the river, you know, the new beach that's formed at the Connecticut River Greenway Park in Northampton um, over the last few years and really kind of take an interest in what's happening. And this summer in particular, we haven't actually been able to run a program on the river because of the flooding and the damage from the flooding um, and, and what that's meant to um, this, this really kind of the heart of our valley. And so it's been uh, really interesting to think about all the people who are now feeling connected to that river through recreation, but their sense of place and what it looks like and what it looks like over time in different conditions. And I think all of our passion for caring for it. Um, and you had mentioned NPR as we were interviewed for the Living on Earth um, podcast and we're anxiously awaiting that segment to air as well about accessible hiking. That's really exciting. Um, and it is. It's a big, uh, being outside. It's this transformative experience, not just personally, but politically as well. You appreciate the river when you're on the river, and you want to save the river, and and that's that's really exciting. I want to talk about your feelings about l- local efforts, the state, the feds, um, in promoting outdoor recreation for disabled people. Do you think the state is doing a good job? And can you tell us about the relationship you have with? the Department of Conservation and Recreation. Um, should the feds and the state be doing more in promoting outdoor recreation for people with disabilities? The answer to that is yes. Um, Senator Comerford has filed a bill um, to work with DCR to promote um, unpaved accessible hiking trails. There's a tremendous trail advocate, Meg Bandera, has a website, Unpaved Trails for All. 
And um, there's quite a bit more information about that bill on there. Um, but a way to promote more accessible hiking trails of the thousands of miles of hiking trails we have on Department of Conservation and Recreation property in Massachusetts, you know, a, a minuscule amount are um, accessible on paved trails. So that, that's one way um, that we can promote more of that. But at the same time, um, we have a contract with the Department of Conservation and Recreation to make many of the DCR properties accessible to people of all abilities. So um, a lot of our kayaking, um, our cross-country skiing, our, our hiking programs, many of those are paid for by a contract with the Department of Conservation and Recreation. There's a whole arm of DCR called the Universal Access Program that not only cares for all of the physical infrastructure of the parks, the fishing docks, the accessible restrooms, the parking, but also um, funds these programs to ensure that people who have disabilities can have meaningful access to our parks. And that's unique in Massachusetts. It's pretty special here. You do programs not just for people with disabilities, but for seniors, for veterans, for kids too. Is that right? We do um, with funding from the Northampton Education Foundation. We have a cycling program in um, the JFK Middle School and Northampton High School that we started last year. Um, and yes, we have... Um, a grant with the Federal Veterans Administration, Adapt to Sports grant to serve um, disabled veterans. And that one's been incredibly meaningful. We've been doing that for uh, seven or eight years now, um, kayaking and, and paddleboarding, cycling, hiking um, with disabled veterans. Karen Foster of All Out Adventures, how do people find out about you? I mean, uh, the clients that you work with, um, how, how do they learn about you and your programs? You know, we, we do any a lot of outreach, um, you know, so we often will, will speak at meetings or to support groups, um, that sort of thing. Um, we're top of mind for many social service organizations, so a lot of times we'll get phone calls from social workers or therapists, um, you know, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, um, to say, oh, hey, why don't you check out All Out Adventures? Uh, you know, we're fairly well known in the Valley, so a lot of times, you know, there's word of mouth. Um, our online presence, um, anything we can do. Where does your funding come from? Because there's a lot of staff, there's a lot of equipment, a lot of money. Um, how, how do you how do you stay alive financially? It's 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 a lot. Um, there's three of us who work full time. We just brought in our third full time person about a year and a half ago, and it's been life changing. Um, and then we have seven or eight um, program leaders and assistants. We. Um, we have contracts with the Department of Conservation and Recreation and the Massachusetts Rehabilitation Commission, our federal Veterans Adaptive Sports Grant. We sell and service recumbent trikes, which is a huge revenue stream for us. Um, so we, we run a whole recumbent trike shop at our Pleasant Street location. Um, we receive a lot of individual contributions. Um, we're fortunate recipients of REI, the outdoor store, their cooperative action fund. Um, we ha we're grant recipients from them. And then we also uh, run fundraisers. So we have two fundraisers every year. Uh, in the early, late winter, early spring, we do what we call the Plunge for Adventure, which is a cold water plunge, which is uh, slightly less pleasant than our upcoming fundraiser, which is called the Kayakathon, which is a 13-mile um, thir paddle, a 12-mile paddle from Sunderland um, down to Northampton on the Connecticut River. And that's coming right up, right? It's September... September 10th. September 10th. And people who want to uh, don't have to kayak to participate, but you can... Donate to kayakers as well. Is that right? Exactly. It's run like a walkathon. People sign up, um, collect sponsorships and pledges to participate. Um, today is actually the last day of early bird registration, but people can kayak, canoe, or paddleboard. We'll have about 100 people um, in our flotilla heading down the river, and then dozens of volunteers, um, 
And it, the event's open to people of all ages and all abilities, like everything we do. So we'll have um, program participants with disabilities participating, community members, and we'll have great food from the Rooster Cafe as part of ServiceNet, um, music from the Friendship Band or the Pathlight Group at the end. Um, it's just a huge community event, um, inclusive community event on the river. And folks can check out the website, the All Out Adventures website, which is a wonderful website, and sign up for programs. Um, Buzz, I don't know if you knew this, but All Out Adventures was actually founded by two Greenfield Community College graduates from the Outdoor Leadership Program. For the listeners that don't know, both Buzz and I taught at Greenfield Community College for years and years. And the Outdoor Leadership Program was always just such a wonderful program. Oh, my goodness, yeah. yeah they'd go out and they'd scale cliffs and oh, things do like everything. that. But I did not know that they founded yeah. All Out Adventures. And that's going back somewhere around 20-something years ago. Is that right, Karen? Yeah, back um, late 90s, All Out Adventures was incorporated in 2001. And, yeah, it was Elizabeth Smith and Christy McCaleck from um, the Outdoor Leadership Program at Greenfield Community College. And then um, they partnered with Philippe Golaski, who's a disability advocate and retired physical therapist, and Tom McCarthy, who's now the director of the Universal Access Program um, with the Department of Conservation and Recreation. And the four of them did laid the groundwork, and Philippe actually still serves on our board of directors, and we work with Tom on a regular basis. Very cool. We've been talking with Karen Foster. She is executive director of a wonderful organization called All Out Adventures. Check it out. Sign up for their programs. Donate to the kayakathon or get in a kayak or canoe. And if you know uh, someone who, who is disabled or a senior or a veteran, um, please do refer them. It's, a lot of adventures just sounds incredible. What, what a jewel of a resource for us to have here in this region. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks today. for having me. Thank you, Brian. We're going to be right back. We're going to be talking jazz with Ruth Griggs and trumpeter and band leader Danny Jonacucci right after this. Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The name of the man killed in a head on collision in Haydenville is now being released. The Northwestern District Attorney's Office says 57 year old Edward Duggan of Haydenville died shortly after 2 p.m. Tuesday. Police believe that Duggan's SUV, headed west on Route 9 in the vicinity of 202 Main Street, drifted, colliding with a pickup truck being driven by a Worthington man in the eastbound lane. He sustained minor injuries. No arrests were made, and the crash remains under investigation. Members of the Amherst Regional School Committee will hold a meeting in executive session tonight to discuss unspecified negotiations with Superintendent Michael Morris. This comes about a month after Morris returned from a two-month medical leave following allegations of anti-LGBTQ plus bias and bullying at the middle school. A Granby woman is seeking to have her murder case dismissed. Kara Rintala is facing her fourth murder trial for allegedly killing her wife at their Granby home in 2010. Rintala's attorney argued the case should be dismissed because prosecutors cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Rintala is guilty without relying on speculation. 
Jurors deadlocked in the first two trials but found Rintala guilty at the third trial. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The Supreme Judicial Court overturned that verdict and sent the case back for a new trial. The judge will review the hearing arguments before issuing a ruling. Mostly cloudy this morning with some scattered showers, gradually clearing this afternoon, but still the chance for a shower, a high of 76 to 80, mainly dry this evening, but then some showers and thunderstorms overnight, a low of 64 to 70. For Friday, showers and thunderstorms in the morning and then drying out in the afternoon, a high of 78 to 82. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Some people make insurance sound so simple, you know. Just call 1-800-INSURANCE. We'll save you money. Sounds pretty simple. So you call, give your credit card, and you're insured. They're hoping you'll never call back. Hoping you'll never have a claim. Because that's when insurance isn't so simple. In fact, it can get outright complicated. So many insurance claims have some little thing, or not so little thing, that ends up with a difference in what the insurance company thinks they owe you and what you think you should get. Maybe that nice person who signed you up at 1-800-INSURANCE will work it out for you. Or make Whalen Insurance your local insurance agent. When we sign you up, don't be surprised if our rates are lower than the 800 number. We'll get every available discount for you. We'll get you the right coverage. And if you ever need help with a claim, our door is open. Whalen Insurance. Call us for a quote. 586-1000. Your local agent working in partnership with Arbella Insurance. Whalen Insurance. Local people. Local service. Local insurance. There are days where you just want to hang a sign on the door. Gone fishing. But you're not going to get a line in the water today. So you go to Paul and Elizabeth's, which may be the next best thing. Order the fish and chips. It's tempura style fish. The batter's so light and airy. The chips are fresh cut in Paul and Elizabeth's kitchen. Have you tried Paul and Elizabeth's Cajun sampler? Shrimp, scallops, and cod with a spicy etouffee sauce. Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of watch repair and customization in the valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece, and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton. I always love it when I hear all that that wonderful music. It's the all that jazz segment, and that was Take Five with Dave Brubeck. And here we have Ruth Griggs with just another jazz hero. Yes, um, I'm really excited that today launches our whole series that's going to happen for the next six weeks or so leading up to the Northampton Jazz Festival on the 29th and 30th of September where I'm going to personally be featuring all of our, you know, as many different musicians that are going to be performing on Jazz Fest Day and the Jazz Strut um, here on my segment so All that jazz. So and remember, remember to tune in Thursdays at at uh, ten thirty and later on at four thirty and uh, hear these wonderful people. And uh, of course, we should point out that Ruth Griggs, you are the president and principal. You're the heart of the Northampton Jazz mm, Festival. Not so. the heart, but I, I'm just the president. We have a lot of other many, many beating hearts. But 
I am super excited that we are we are starting off this this new series with none other than Danny Janakucci, who is this phenom band leader, composer, vocalist, trumpeter, um, and educator from uh, both both from New York City and and LA, and he is joining us today on the phone, and he is going to be leading his incredible swing dance band in Pulaski Park, Danny Janakucci and the Revisionists, on Saturday, September 30th at 5 p.m. And we're going to talk about that as well as his new album release. Danny, welcome. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. So, so just starting with starting with like who is this amazing man and what is his genre take us away tell us about the the wonderful music that scott opatut one of our producers is saying is like you are becoming internationally known as the swing dance band of the world <laughs> I'm, I'm so flattered that wow that means a lot to me i'm i'm a uh... A trumpeter mostly. I also do arranging and composition and sing a little, as you said. And I kind of came up uh, really getting to know a lot of the great big band sounds from a lot of the musicians that I came up with in Los Angeles. So this is a lot of the studio musicians, a lot of people that used to play with a lot of the classic big bands from back in the day um, in Los Angeles. And you know what? They always said, if you really want to do jazz, you got to move to New York City someday. And I started leading my big band here in New York City about 10 years ago when I moved here. And I've really just fallen in love with the idea of having large ensemble jazz music, which is uh, something that's no small feat. It never has been easy. Even in the days of Duke and Basie, it was hard to keep a 17-piece band alive. But it's something that I've been so interested in, not only just um, to perform for listening audiences, but of course also for people that love to dance, swing dancing, Lindy Hop. Um, it's something that's truly, truly a passion of mine. And it's so amazing to connect with audiences that appreciate this style of jazz. Cool. Well, you know, there are uh, several big bands. I don't know if you know this, Danny, but there's several big bands here in Western Mass both of which come out of UMass Amherst, which, as you may know, has a really strong jazz program there. Not as strong as, as Queens College, which is where I know you got your degrees, but uh, we have Jeff Holmes' big band, which is actually going to be kicking off the jazz strut on the 29th of September, and we have the Amherst Jazz Orchestra. So you are going to be appreciated and in really, really good company here at the Northampton Jazz Festival. I, I also <laughs> want to point out, Danny and, and Ruth, so many of Ruth's guests come in and they talk about how important it is to, to be in New York City if you want to be a professional jazz musician. But they also talk about how much they love to come to this region because it is so just uh, replete with talent and appreciation for what these amazing people do. So I'm so grateful that you're going to bring a little bit of New York City to Northampton. Oh, it's good. And, and the other thing that's amazing about what, what Danny and the Revisionist, which is the name of his group, is going to be bringing is an opportunity for us to collaborate with the Lindy Hop League of Western Massachusetts, which is going to be leading uh, free swing dance lessons in Pulaski Park, 4 o'clock on the 30th of September, 
And then after you take your lesson, you get to dance to none other than Danny Jonacucci and the Revisionists, which is going to just blow the roof off of this festival. It's going to send us. <laughs> it's too swell. <laughs> so, so Danny, um, tell us a little bit about, I know you are a multi-recording um, 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 artist with several uh, albums as a leader, and I hear rumor that you have a new one coming down the pike really soon. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Uh, first, I just want to apologize if you hear sirens and things like that. This is uh, the sounds of Brooklyn. <laughs> it's, it's, of course, quite a noisy day. Here. There's the name of your next um, album. <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn Noises. Yes, no, my new album actually uh, that comes out tomorrow is called Voices. And it's actually a big band album with a 17-piece band that's backing up not one, not two, but 11 different jazz vocalists. So it's truly my dream record. I've been wanting to make this record for almost a decade. I've been writing the music for just as many, many years. And it's truly something that I, I cannot wait to share because the voices featured on this record are not only some of my favorite vocalists, but some of my, my best friends and my favorite people to collaborate with. Um, all 11 of them are people that I've uh, traveled the world with, that I've been in the studio with, that I've performed on all sorts of stages with. So I wanted to find a way to bring them all together in one place and one compact disc and one recording and, um, and highlight them with, with my own arrangements. So it's something that truly is exciting, and I can't believe that tomorrow is finally the big day. Yes, and we're actually going to hear a couple of quick cuts from uh, two of those songs from the album um, in, in a few minutes on the show. So we're really, congratulations, Danny. You know, I was, when I, I was listening to some of the cuts, obviously, and the, the vocalists that you're featuring are... What I noticed about them being a jazz vocalist myself is that the voices were so unique that each one had her own, I, I, I must say I, I listened to female vocalists, um, but each one had such a unique sound and such a personality and it seemed like you chose them so perfectly for the style of song that they were singing. Yeah, I, I think that that's really a big positive thing for me is to highlight the diversity of singers that all of these singers are based in New York city. And um, there's such a wide range of incredible talent, you know, that there's no one thing in jazz. There's no one way to do it. And I think that showing off that uniqueness is something that's so important and uh, unique to jazz music in general. Um, but like I said, from working with all of these incredible vocalists over the years, I've really kept a keen ear of listening to what makes them sound good. You know, when, when they go up high, like how high is it that they need to go? When they go low, like how do you support that sound? So when I was doing the uh, orchestrations for this, I really, I, I, I didn't have to try very hard to hear each one of their voices in my head and, um, and truly make them make their voices sing. Uh, Wait a minute. You, know, you mean, are you saying that you, may, you made the arrangement of these songs on the album based on that individual, particular, unique singer? Many times, yes. Some of them uh, performed these arrangements over the years. Some of them have been performing, performing with bands that commissioned them. Like, for example, uh, Nicole Zoraitis, a wonderful, wonderful vocalist who actually has 
her own new album that just came out recently. Uh, she commissioned me to write uh, her arrangement of Social Call uh, mm. for the Birdland Big Band. So each one of these vocalists, we have these amazing connections, and we've been working together for a long time. Um, so it's given me the opportunity not only just to to hear them, but to hear them sing these uh, songs individually live. And that really informs how I was going to write, and in some cases even rewrite some of these songs just to make sure that they were perfect for each individual vocalist. That's awesome. And and Danny, are you featuring a vocalist? I think you are. Um, with the revisionists when you come to perform at the Northampton Jazz Festival on September 30th? Yeah, that's correct. I will be featuring a vocalist, uh, a rather new vocalist on the scene, um, one that actually uh, is not going to be featured on this Voice, Voices album and that would actually be myself, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, fun. Yes, because I know, yes, I, I see that you're a vocalist, and now we're going to be able to hear. I can't wait to, to hear Danny play trumpet and sing at the same time. Right, right. And bef- be, um, pretty soon we're going to be taking a break, and we will be hearing um, one, of the, one of the pieces from Danny's album, which is coming out tomorrow. And if you want to listen to some of the tracks from his album, which is called Voices, it's a big band album with a 17-member band. Um, It's got incredible energy and incredible depth of soul in it. Um, You can go to dannyjohnacucci.com, and I'm going to spell that for you. So it's D-A-N-N-Y-J-O-N-O-K-U-C-H-I, dannyjohnacucci.com. And he's got wonderful, wonderful tracks there. Not only a 17-piece band, he's got 11 different vocalists on this. That's right. Really impressive. The rising stars of, of, of New York City vocalists today. Dan, could you play a little bit of that as uh, we take a break? So we're going to hear... Um, I'm Dan, Dan what, which album are you... Which song are you going to play from? It what a difference a day makes with Alita Moses. Skies above can be stormy since that moment of bliss, a thrilling kiss. It's heaven when you find romances on your menu. What a difference a day This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed and get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. Get on your bike in September with the 13th annual Will Bike for Food, benefiting the Food Bank of Western Mass. This fun cycling event takes place September 24th at the Lions Club Pavilion in Hatfield. Cyclists of all ages and levels can pedal towards a hunger-free future while cycling through the scenic Connecticut River Valley and then celebrating at the exclusive after party. So join a team of friends, family, or coworkers, or ride and fundraise yourself. Register today at willbikeforfood.org. 
presented by Stop and Shop. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, little neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny little necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating, but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us, and each of us has a responsibility. Together, we can make a difference. Learn more about what you can do at ctriver.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. This is our All That Jazz segment. We've got Ruth Griggs and trumpeter and band leader Danny Jonacucci, who's going to be here at Pulaski Park for the Northampton Jazz Festival on the 29th of September. Right. Actually, Danny's playing on Jazz Fest Day Buzz, which is the September thirtieth. That's 30th. Saturday, all day Saturday. There is um, there is live and free jazz. All n- not that style of jazz, but jazz for free, um, all over town, and um, including at the Unitarian Society with um, a, a couple of different bands, the Parlor Room with Mark Whitfield. Our new venue, Edwards Church, um, with Avery Sharp, who's been on the show, as well as Camille Thurman. Uh, And then Danny is going to close it out um, at Pulaski Park at 5 p.m. But as I mentioned earlier, all of you Lindy Hopper swing dancers out there, you've got to show up at 4 p.m., for a free dance lesson with the Lindy League of Western Mass and then stick around for an hour and a half concert with Danny Jonacucci and the Revisionists who are going to be performing in Pulaski Park I'm on September chills. I'm so 30th. <laughs> so, and we were just talking before the break um, that Danny's got a new release um, coming out tomorrow, which is so exciting. And again, he will have plenty of his new albums which is called Voices, um, which features 11 different vocalists, rising stars in New York City, with a 17-piece big band. So come to, to come to dance, come to enjoy the music, and come to buy and his new CD. And you'll be able to CD. find that album wherever you buy your music, right? Yes, Danny, talk to us about how people can um, enjoy the album and, and get it tomorrow. Tell us about that, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say... Wherever you find your music, I would say any, any place that you listen to your music, we're trying to make it available everywhere. That could be on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. It'll be on Pandora. You can also order physical CDs through um, my labels. Uh, this is Outside In Music. They have their own band camp where you can get a physical and a digital copy. You can get it on Amazon. So anywhere you get your music, tomorrow is the day to pick up voices. That's so exciting. And if you want to hear a little preview of Danny Jonacucci and his big band, you can go to Birdland. If you happen to be anywhere near New York City around Labor Day weekend, 
On September 3rd, he's having a CD release party at Birdland, which would be super cool. That must be one of your, um, kind of your, your, your key performance venues, right, Danny? Yeah, absolutely. I love bringing my band to Birdland. And this one is going to be an especially special one because, um, I, as we talked about, there's a 17-piece band, 11 vocalists. And I can tell you now with confidence that it's going to be every one of the instrumentalists that performed on the record will be performing that date, as well as nine of the vocalists will be on that performance. Gracious. It's, it's really the stars aligned and everybody happened to be available. No one went away for uh, Labor Day weekend. So we definitely want to see people there for that. Well, well, despite our sensitivity to people who are suffering from uh, mental and behavioral health problems. We want everybody to be hearing voices tomorrow. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Definitely. And and you know, Danny, you're an you're an interesting guy with sort of a, a bi coastal um, background, right? You you grew up in L.A. and you came to school um, in New York. Is that what brought you to New York? Was to go to Queens College? Actually, yeah, I moved to the East Coast. Um, from L.A. to Philadelphia, where I attended Temple University um, back in 2008. So that kind of brought me to the East Coast. I spent four years in Philly and absolutely loved the music scene there. And then I moved up to New York not, not too long after that and then have been in New York for 11 years uh, since then. And was there anyone in particular at Queens College in their famous jazz program that you studied with that was particularly inspirational to you? Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the faculty at Queens College was, was the biggest determining factor uh, for me going there. So I studied mostly with the trumpeter composer Michael Philip Mossman, um, who was absolutely an incredible mentor to me, but also the program director, Antonio Hart, is just an absolute joy to work with. Um, so yeah, it was an incredible program there, and I, I learned so much. And you must have made great connections in the New York City scene, which which you're which you're enjoying today. Absolutely, yeah. One of one of the big things is one of my professors was Ricky Riccardi, who uh, is the director of the archives at the Louis Armstrong House Museum. And uh, recently, he invited me to perform for the museum's opening. So that was a really wonderful Queens College connection. Um, that's been really truly special. That's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And and what I noticed about some of the songs on your new album, which is coming out tomorrow, called Voices, which features 11 different vocalists, is that there were quite a few standards that I noticed they were they were that's on your album. So you're doing um, uh, your own r arrangements of those of those standards for your big band and the vocalist. That's absolutely right. Yeah, all 11. All 11 of them are jazz standards. Some of them are more well-known, like um, All of Me and Summertime, maybe known by most listeners. But there are also some ones that are a little bit off the beaten path, like You Turn the Tables on Me, and The One I Love Belongs to Somebody Else. So I wanted to pick standards that you know had some familiarity to some, but also some that were just my personal favorites that I really wanted people to hear. And you and and again, arranging sounds like something that you not only do for your own band but for other other bands as well. I mean, that's that sounds like an important part of who you are as a professional musician is is a, as an arranger. Absolutely, it's a it's a tough balancing act, uh, especially when I'm touring and things like that. 
but I almost always have some commissions from some bands, usually large ensembles, whether they're orchestras or big bands. Uh, right now, um, I have to finish six big band charts by the by the end of the month, so I've got to get cracking at that very soon. But um, yeah, it's a really wonderful balance for me to go from writing to playing to writing to playing because they 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 use similar parts of the musical brain, but the timing and the pace is so different to be able to think about things as opposed to do improvising in the moment but they're both extremely special to me well you are special to us danny john and we so appreciate you coming on the the show today again all of you all of you jazz fans and music lovers out there in radio land we are talking to danny john who is going to be coming to the northampton jazz festival on saturday september 30th to perform in pulaski park at 5 p.m with his uh, revisionist band, which will be uh, just jazzing up the scene with dancing and music making. And we're going to hear something from his new album, Voices. You Turned the Tables on Me, featuring vocalist Chanel Johns. Take it away, Dan. This is Talk the Talk. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. Forbes Library Outreach Delivery Service caters to residents of any age who are homebound due to short or long-term disability in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. A volunteer will deliver your specific requests or select materials for you based on your interests. We offer books, magazines, CDs, DVDs, and puzzles. Call 413-587-1019 or sign up at ForbesLibrary.org outreach. WHMP Northampton. 